So we're on uh, the topic of eschatology. You learned that big word, the first class we had, study of future things. And uh, we've been covering various topics under that one. If you haven't been here, would like to catch up on the past ones, you can get all those on YouTube. Uh, they don't censor those, at least they haven't yet. <laughs> and you can find each of the classes, each of the lessons. You can get the notes as well. Uh, if you like, on the things we've covered to this point. And so, uh, there's been some interesting topics we've covered that you might want to get. One of them is why uh, I believe that we're going to get raptured before the tribulation. I know there's lots of discussion on that one, so if you want to hear, read about my views on that, you can get that particular lesson, a dozen reasons, reasons why, and uh, you can get that. So this morning we're going to start on a topic. Now we won't meet next couple of weeks, uh, the 10th of January or the 9th of January, uh, 10th is Sunday, uh, will be the next class we have. So between now and then it's just Christmas break as it were. And so, but I'm going to start on a theme this morning that will be on for about six weeks, and that's the theme of the kingdom, the kingdom. Now we've talked about it a little bit already when we uh, were covering uh, the nation of Israel and some of the uh, hermeneutical principles. And so the kingdom, the, the word kingdom is used a variety of ways in the Bible. One of the ways is God's general overriding sovereignty over everything. And so the, in a sense the word kingdom is used a couple of times in regards to God being ruler over everything. All of history, past and future, all the world, every nation, every people, regardless of who they are, what they believe. And so it's used occasionally like that. Now it's obvious from the context when it's used that way. Uh, the other way that it's used is talking about His rule in our lives. There is a reference to the word kingdom being used in that sense where He is Lord of our life, running our life. I'll read one uh, later, but I'll just quote it to you now. Maybe I'll quote it. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has transferred us. That happened at the point of our conversion, our faith in Christ, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, that is the kingdom of Satan, where we belong to Him, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Obviously that word kingdom there is present. It's happening right now. But about 90% of the references to kingdom are talking about a literal kingdom, literal in the sense that there's a place, a time, a king, a rulership, and there will be uh, the millennial kingdom, as it's called, the term millennium meaning a thousand years that's prophesied in Revelation chapter 20. We talked about being a literal time period. And so it will be in the nation, it will be in the country that is now Israel, a little bit more than that, and Jesus will be here physically on the earth. We'll be ruling with Him. So we're going to begin the journey of studying the kingdom. There's whole books written on that topic. Uh, the most important book in my life in the sense of the Bible being first, the second book that has had the most influence in my life is a book called The Greatness of the Kingdom by Alva McLean. It's an old book, but it is uh, incredibly uh, deep theological. With just, uh, it's had a, I read it years ago, and I've reread it about four different times, and I'm rereading it now for this class. But great stuff in there about everything. And so the kingdom is sort of everything in the Bible. And your notes, number one, if we were to give the Bible a title, 
the word Bible just means collection of books. It's not really a title as such. But if we were going to give it a title, it would be the coming kingdom of God. That's what the Bible is about uh, from beginning to end. That's the main theme that's in the Bible. If you recognize that is the theme, then you see it every place you read. Uh, the coming kingdom, uh, the rule of God over this world. Number two, the kingdom began with Adam's responsibility to rule over the world. You know, we could have a conversation, and I could start it by saying, asking this question, what do you hate more than anything else? I mean, of all the things that go on in life, that happen in life, what just really bugs you, ticks you off? I mean, just, uh, you just kind of, I'll tell you what mine is. Movies where the good guy doesn't win. I mean, when I was a kid, all the movies, the good guy won. That's just the way it was. And you knew it. Now they have movies where the, the good guy loses. I think, what kind of movie is that? That's sort of a sign of our times, isn't it? Well, the Bible is a novel. It starts at the beginning, Genesis, and goes all the way through the Bible. And you ever pick up a, a, a novel and a story and read the last three or four pages just to kind of see what it's about? Well, you can do that with the Bible. You can read the last and see how it ends. Uh, well, it starts and it ends, and the, the novel is all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, that's the kingdom. Have lots of kids. Fill up the earth. Rule it. Run it. You're in charge. There's the kingdom. Number three, but Adam messed up. He messed up royal. And he lost his position as ruler of the world to the devil. Now he's the ruler. It's the kingdom of darkness that we're living in. And so, I said the title of the book could be The Kingdom of God. Actually, a better title would be The Kingdom Lost, The Kingdom Regained. The Kingdom Lost, The Kingdom Regained. That's what the, the story is about, the, the Bible, beginning to end. It's a novel. Everything in it revolves around that theme, The Kingdom Lost and The Kingdom Regained. Luke chapter 4, verse 5, uh, he, that's Satan, the devil, led him, Jesus, this is the temptation in the wilderness, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, the nations, the governments. In a moment of time, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours. You ever wonder what Jesus was thinking right there? I bet he was thinking, you just wait, buddy. It may be years now, but it won't be that long before it isn't. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
We belong to God, but we're in the midst of a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom uh, that is controlled by the devil, the evil one. That's why everything's going the way it is, because he's in control of so much of the governments. Number four, the end of the story. We'll jump to the end just to show you that it ends well. And the end of the story in Revelation is that Jesus throws the devil into the lake of fire for a thousand years, rules the world as the king. Then he gives him another chance, turns him loose for a little bit of time, and then he throws him into the pit, the lake of fire, forever and ever and ever and ever. I like stories that end well, where the good guy wins and the bad guy loses. I imagine Jesus was thinking that when the devil said, hey, you bow down and worship me and I'll give you this. It's mine. Revelation chapter 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon. I mean, this is not even God doing this. This is an angel. Think, you're not so tough, devil. I mean, just an angel. One angel takes you. Some of you guys are into that. uh, uh, I forget now the words, the initials. You're in a cage there fighting. Uh, Dr. Bain's into that. Yeah, yeah. And so you might just visualize here that Satan thinks he's tough. And this angel comes. And he, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil. Satan bound him for a thousand years, threw him, threw him, pitched him poof, into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. He's no longer ruler, king of anything. Until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he was released for a short time. And then Revelations 19, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God, and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, and you remember that's us, Fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of kings, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he begins his kingdom on the earth. And that's the book of Revelation at the end. And so it doesn't begin so well, and in the middle where we are now, it often has some really dark days. But uh, the end of the kingdom of darkness is coming, and the kingdom of light will prevail, and we'll be in the army. Number five, from Genesis to Revelation is written the story of the kingdom of God restored and our place in the story. sort of funny sometimes to look at yourself on, the, on a screen. I, this thing gets videoed, and I go on YouTube, and I watch myself. Uh, I try not to eat before I do because I'll get sick. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you have to kind of tolerate that. I watch, and I just try to figure out, okay, what can I do uh, to make this a little bit better? And so I, I think, but it's sort of weird looking at yourself on the screen. Read the Bible. We're in the story. Now, it's not your name per se, but there's all kinds of places. That's, that's me. That's, that's me. We're in the story. We're part of the plot uh, as Jesus regains the kingdom 
the kingdom of the world. Number six, the kingdom began with the first Adam and will end with the second or last Adam, Jesus. So it begins with Adam and it ends with Jesus, called the second Adam. Adam was given authority, rulership of the world, and he lost it, and Jesus will regain it, and we're part of that, and we're part of it now. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. And so there's the first and there's the last. Romans 5, 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type, a type or a picture of him who was to come. And so Jesus is the second or the last Adam. Number seven, in order for Jesus to be the legitimate heir of the kingdom, legitimate heir of the kingdom ruler, he needed to be a member of the human race. So Adam was the legitimate king. Satan took that over, and for Jesus to regain it, he had to be one of us. I, I haven't watched television for years. It's because i got so many other things to do, but I sort of got into this series that's on Friday, the Star Wars uh, Mandalorian one. I guess the last one was this Friday, and they're going to start some more. I've been watching that one with my grandson, Courage, and uh, this last one, there was an interesting little uh, analogy, as it were. There's this, and I don't remember the names of everybody. My kids all know everybody by name and all their histories and their grandparents and, you know, all their relatives, how the story all goes. They're all tied together. Uh, but uh, there's this young, uh, this girl, and there's this lightsaber sword that's supposed to be really, really powerful, and this other dude has it, and she wants it back. Well, the Mandalorian guy fights him and wins and gets the sword. And he's going to give it to this girl, but then the rule is, is only the one who conquers it from whoever has it, defeats him in battle, he's the rightful owner. So she can't have it. Huh. What a bummer of a rule, huh? At least for her. And it's funny how those kinds of rules in a movie, there's lots of comparisons in the Bible. See, Jesus had to become like me and like you to be the legitimate. And see, God establishes rules and principles, and He follows His own rules in order to become uh, the king of the world. Um, Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, he had, he had to be made like His brethren in all things. He had required. It's the way it had to happen. So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest, and things pertaining to God, to, be, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. He has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just as, so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Christ was faithful as a son over his house, over his house, his domain, 
whose house we are. We are part of that domain if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Number eight, the Bible is the story of the conquest of the enemy of God and the right to rule over the earth. So, after Jesus died on the cross, the devil and his demons had a big party. Why? We won. We won. We killed Jesus. He evidently didn't read the story. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it said that he took all the demons and the devil himself and he paraded them through heaven. And they were humiliated before all the angels of heaven as the conquering king took the enemy and they would take and put chains around their neck and parade them through the city and all the citizens of the city would mock them and throw dirt on them and tomatoes at them and say, you losers. You know, I pray sometimes and I'll pray out loud because the devil can't read my thoughts. I say, devil, you are a loser. You were defeated when Jesus rose from the grave. He made a spectacle of you of heaven. You've been humiliated. You're nothing. You're just a big loser, and I'm a child of the king. Trash talking. I like to trash talk. I don't know what the devil does when I trash talk him. I think he just sort of, he can't do anything about it. So that's the Bible story, conquest, conquest, conquering, Hebrews 2, 5, for he did not subject to angels the world to come, that is the kingdom that's coming, concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man? Us, we're, we tend to be losers at times. What is man? that you remember him, or the Son of Man, that you are concerned about him. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, just a little while. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You've appointed him over the works of your hands. You've appointed him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But, but, but now we do not yet See all things subjected to him. We're not to the end of the story yet. But we do see him, shifting gears here, we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, that's me, not ashamed to call me his brother, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, 
that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of the death, of death, that is the devil. So, render him powerless, the devil, by his death and his resurrection, might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You know the bad thing about this COVID thing? Is that is in direct violation to that statement. By his death, burial, resurrection, our hope of eternal life, we are free from the fear of death. Absolutely, totally free. And nothing that ought to intimidate a believer about death. But the devil continues to try to get us. That's his main tool to control us is the fear of death. Number nine, all of life is a continual story of conflict and war between the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. So from the very beginning, all these thousands of years of human history, if you want to study human history, you know what you study mostly? Battles, wars. I, uh, I'll go on YouTube, and there's a whole bunch of, of uh, stories about battle between the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Greeks and, and, and uh, you know, and the, the Germanic tribes in the fall of Rome. I, I watch them. They, they play them all out and they tell you the exact stories. The battle of uh, Maranatha. Just, I mean, a whole bunch. I mean, uh, not Maranatha, but uh, Marathon and uh, all kinds of these battles and wars. And there's like hundreds from the beginning of battles and wars between countries and kingdoms. That's the history of mankind. And so what's true out in the real world is true in the spiritual realm as well. There's a continual ongoing battle between the kingdom of darkness, Satan and his demons, and the angels of God over the heads of people, over the control of people. There's this ongoing battle and war always taking place between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, and we're right in the middle of it. Colossians 1.13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created both in the heavens, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Number 10, David and Goliath is not just a story of a giant and a kid. It's a thumbnail description of the history of the world and the plan of God. <clears throat> that was one of my favorites. When I was in vacation Bible school, the story of David and Goliath, and occasionally we'd have somebody that was a really good storyteller and they could tell it. I remember one guy, one pastor telling it, and he literally fell over. He just went, and bam, when he was acting out the part of Goliath. I remember as a kid thinking, wow, that's cool. That guy's a good storyteller. I mean, he had a sling and he threw a rock and, he, and the whole story kind of came alive, the fighting of David and Goliath. It's, it's a story that everybody knows. It's a story that illustrates the Bible from beginning to end. That's what it's about. There's David, just a kid, little guy. Doesn't appear to have much on his side. Goliath, he's a big dude all kinds of weapons, and even a guy in front of him to carry his, his uh, shield for him. And David wins. That's the story of the Bible. Jesus wins, and we win along with him. Number 11, we were created to rule with Jesus over the world.
So you will not understand life if you don't understand that we were created to rule with Jesus. Rule with him over the kingdom, the world. And we are trained for that. Revelations 3.21, he who overcomes. If you read Revelation, that's what we're talking about. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's seven churches. And every one of those churches, one of the things in that, it says, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, every one of those. Overcome, that means you conquer, you win. The Greek word, nikeo, uh, we get Nike, a champion, a conqueror, a David. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who is an ear, let him hear, pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Matthew 19, 27, Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything, followed you, then what's in it for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You will sit on thrones with me, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Revelations 4, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne... You want to do a cool Bible study? Just look up the word throne and read every instance of the word throne throughout the Bible. There's a throne was in heaven. One sitting on the throne, he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, a sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance, and around the throne were 24. So the one sitting on the throne is God the Father. If we continue to read, we would see that Jesus is represented by the Lamb that was there. But uh, around the throne were 24 thrones. Now, we looked at 12 thrones, uh, the, uh, those apostles ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. 24 thrones, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I suggested that's a picture of the church. That's me. I'm in the story. Uh, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, one of the reasons why I believe that the rapture occurs before the tribulation is this is chapter 4. Tribulation doesn't happen until chapter 5. You have chapter 2 and 3 describing the churches on the world during the time that John writes the, the letter. Then chapter 4 begins with, come up here, windows of heaven are opened. And then you see this scene here with the 24 thrones and the elders upon them. <clears throat> Revelation 20, chapter 4, then I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned, reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These are believers. Remember the tribulation saints we talked about last week. They will get to reign as well. Thrones. Daniel 7 the beginning of most of the prophecies about the kingdom start in Daniel. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. You remember when Jesus was on trial after he'd gotten arrested in the garden, betrayed by Judas? And uh, Herod is questioning him, and who are you anyway? Wants him to do some miracles, and you know what kind of tipped it and got everything rolling was when Jesus quotes this passage about himself. 
One like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's the kingdom. Jesus is the one that's presented to the Father and the Ancient of Days and uh, he's the son of man and he's coming on clouds and he will be the ruler of the world as prophesied in Daniel. Daniel 7, 18. The saints are the highest one. Who's that? That's me. You. The saints are the highest one will receive the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. That's cool, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2 God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now this is sort of a present tense statement talking about who we are now ruling, but what we will be in the future. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you might be able to see who you really are, what your future is, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, his inheritance, that is, you get your inheritance in the future. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's where Jesus is now. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are going to rule with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Number 12, we weren't born capable of or qualified to rule with Jesus. So God designed life to be a boot camp. I have a book written by a retired Navy SEAL. And in the book, he describes the training he went through to be a Navy SEAL. And he makes application to life now. And as I read the, the story about what he went through to be a Navy SEAL, I thought, why would anybody in their right mind ever choose that occupation? That's absurd. That's crazy stuff. But that's exactly what God's doing with us now. He's training us. Revelations 2.7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Revelation 2.11, he who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17, he who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Revelation 2.26, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. The vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Revelation 3, 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. Revelation 3, 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 
and he will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God. Revelation 3.21, he who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. So I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 13, no one will <clears throat> understand why life is hard. No one will understand why life is hard and so full of trials until they recognize that the purpose of life is to equip us for the role of ruling with Jesus in the kingdom. <clears throat> life has a purpose. We're not in heaven. We're not in the kingdom. And the purpose is to train us. We're in training. And if you read the book about Navy SEALs, they didn't expect that that training period was going to be easy. They understood it was going to be incredibly hard, but it had an end in sight, and then they would be what they wanted to be. So life has an end in sight, and then we will be what God wants us to be. We will be like Him in character, and we'll be equipped and qualified to rule <clears throat> with Him. Hebrews 2, 7, again, you have made Him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned Him with glory and honor. You've appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see yet all things subjected to him, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the sufferings of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect to perfect, don't miss this, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings, that's Jesus. And he does the same to us. 14, one of the first events after the rapture of the church is the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> I grew up in the church. I don't think I ever missed Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth group, vacation, Bible school, summer camp. I didn't miss any of that. Graduated from high school, went to a Christian college. Graduated from Western Baptist Bible College. Became a pastor, went up to Seattle, uh, got a master's degree in theology. And then about three years after that, I went to a seminar on the judgment seat of Christ and eternal rewards. And I was into that seminar about two hours, and I got really angry. I mean, I just started boiling inside. I thought, I'm 45 years old. I've grown up in the church, been to school, Bible college, got a master's in theology. I have never one time heard anybody teach anything on this topic. How did I go through church all my life? Bible school, vacation Bible school, Christian college, never once heard a verse or a teaching or a lecture or a sermon on the judgment seat of Christ and eternal rewards. I thought, if I had heard this when I was a kid, I'd be dangerous today. Man, I'd be so motivated you couldn't hardly, oh, it'd be crazy. I'm 45. I've wasted so many years of my life just treading water, just getting into heaven. That's good enough. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we, that's me, you, all of us, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed, rewarded. My grandkids come over and work at my house, and so we do a deal. So Isaac, now James, you're going to mow the lawn? Yeah. How much am I going to pay you? I don't know. I said, you decide. 
You want me to pay you by the hour or by the job? Let's do it by the job. That way, if you fool around, I don't have to pay you more than you're worth. So we negotiate. Recompense. That's what you've earned. Each one may be recompensed, rewarded for his deeds, his work, his service in the body. That's this thing we're living in now, according to what he has done. I'll stand before Jesus and be rewarded, recompensed for what I've done in this life. You will as well. You know, there's going to be some people that stand before Jesus and get nothing, zero. 1 Corinthians 3 said everything that they've done in this life will be burned up and they will enter heaven because you're saved by grace, not by works, but they will enter heaven through fire smelling like smoke with no rewards. And a key part of the rewards are ruling, ruling with Jesus. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, not he who gets in. Fifteen, a major part of the rewards that we receive at the judgment seat of Christ is the level of authority we are given to rule with Christ, which also means the, 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 how close are we to Him? How close are we to Him? Luke 19, Jesus tells a story. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately, that Jesus was going to say, okay, I'm the king, <clears throat> kill all you Romans. They were kind of looking forward to that. And he tells this story, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. So he's talking about him. He's going to receive a kingdom, but he's going to leave. He's gone, and he's going to come back. And return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. That was a measure of money. Said to them, Do business with this until I come back. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. That's the judgment seat of Christ. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina was made, has made ten more. He said to him, Well done, good, and, good, good slave, because you have been faithful with, in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over ten cities. Second came, saying, Your mina master has made five. And he said to him also, You are to be over five cities. I didn't put in the part about the dude who said, I was afraid, took what you gave me, dug a hole and buried it. Here you have what is yours. In the words of Jesus, You wicked, lazy slave, you're good for nothing. Takes away what he has and gives it to the one with ten. <clears throat> I don't want to be that guy at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Timothy 4, 8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, on that day, the day I stand before him, the crown of righteousness, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. James 1, 12, Blesses the man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. None of these are talking about salvation. They're rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Peter 5, 4, The chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Revelations 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. You will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. He will give you the crown of life. A bunch of crowns that he gives to us at the judgment seat of Christ. 16, four reasons why the 24 elders are the church. I don't have a fill-in-the-blank one on this. So you're going to have to write this in the notes. So after these things, I looked. Door standing open in heaven picture of the rapture. The first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here. We're going to hear that. 
be cool if we could hear it just in about five minutes, huh? As soon as I'm finished with this lesson. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven, one sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone, a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Now we know 24 doesn't stand for Israel. 12 stands for the nation of Israel. 24 doesn't say it anywhere, but I'm confident that that number stands for the church. 24 thrones upon the thrones. I saw 24 elders. The term elders is regularly used in the epistles regards to the church. White garments. You don't see anybody with white garments except the church. And golden crowns, the church. There we are around the throne of God. The throne ruling. 17, the most proactive on-the-job training that we receive in this life to rule with Jesus in the kingdom is prayer. So, you know the problem with a lot of Christians in regards to prayer? They think it's begging. Please, Lord, fix my life. Please give me a better job. Please, please, please. Prayer was not designed by God for us to have a better life. That's not why He gave it to us. Prayer was given to us as a sword, as it were, to conquer. To conquer. To conquer the kingdom of darkness, to bring in justice, to rule, to reign on this earth as the church through the power of prayer. One of the reasons Christians don't see a lot of answers to prayer is because they... They use it for the wrong reason. The reason is to change our world. We pray for people. We pray for circumstances. We pray for presidents. We pray for governors. We use prayer as the rulers. Now, we're not ruling yet, but we're practicing. We're training. And prayer is our tool. That's what we use to conquer with. It's our sword. It's our sling. It's what we use to bind the kingdom of darkness with. <clears throat> Revelations 5.8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, that's us, fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. The golden bowl, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There we are with a bowl, and in it are our prayers. So you got a bowl. Whose prayers are in your bowl? Yours. So some of you are going to have a bowl and not going to be much in there. So when we pray here, they go ahead and we get a bowl as the ruler with Jesus, a bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. You were slain, purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom, a kingdom of priests to our God. And they will reign, they will reign, they will reign upon the earth. And one of the uh, tools is that bowl of incense we continue to use that as our authority as we reign with Jesus over the kingdom. We'll look at the kingdom some more in the weeks ahead in the sense of 
there's going to be farming in the kingdom, John Deere tractors. There's going to be fishing. I think maybe there's going to be elk hunting. It's going to be a lot like now, but no curse, no devil, no weeds, no mosquitoes, no yellow jackets. And we'll be ruling with Jesus over the world. It's going to be a cool. It's all described in the Old Testament, and it's fun to look at it.